Podcasts aren't the future of radio. They're the present. You are about to listen to a ministry-approved podcast. For more great audio entertainment, visit ministryofpodcasts.com. And now, your feature presentation. Hi, my name is John Barnes, author of Directive 51, Daybreak Zero, Tales of the Madman Underground, the forthcoming The Last President, and Losers in Space, and lots of other good books. And at this point, I am reminded of the story that on one occasion, Jesus, having gotten bored, descended from heaven and wandered all over the earth looking for the most interesting thing he could find, and finally discovered, deep in the Amazon, a tiny monkey next to an enormous pile of books. The tiny monkey sat there reading book after book after book, and Jesus watched him for more than a month, and he saw him do nothing but read the books. Finally, Jesus scooped up the monkey and an enormous library and took them home to heaven to show everybody else. One day, God himself came by to watch the amazing reading monkey who never did anything but read. And after gazing at him for several years, because time has no meaning in heaven, God turned to his son and said, Jesus Christ, that monkey reads a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Paul the Book Guy. This is episode 001 of Paul the Book Guy, the pilot. Paul the Book Guy is brought to you by Audible. Go to paulthebookguy.com slash audible and get a free audiobook just for signing up for a free trial account. Hi, everybody. I'm Paul Alves, better known as... Paul the Book Guy. I'm Chris Jager. Chris Jager. Hi, everybody. I'm Greg Ott. Greg Ott. And you're listening to the Paul the Book Guy show, where we review and recommend books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Are we including all that? I'm, ho- I'm First of all, I'm glad we're including books, as I've only ever listened to half of one audiobook. Well, we just may change that. Noob. Hello, I'm David Milnes, and I wrote the dark comedy, The Ghost of Neil Diamond, which is not about Neil Diamond at all, but a Neil Diamond impersonator with his back against the Great Wall of China. Paul Alves reviewed my novel here in January. There are now seven reviewers like Paul, from Toronto to Hong Kong, from New York to Dublin, who have written between them more than 4,700 words in praise of this book. So I'd like to send you a copy wherever you are in the world, because I'm so confident you'll enjoy it too. No obligations, no strings or tricks. I have 50 to give away. Please let me know if you'd like a copy at whattradition.com. All one word, two T's in the middle, whattradition.com. That's my pitch. Thank you so much for listening, and I'd love to hear from you. Now back to Paul the Book Guy. That's very nice of David, and I want to thank him for giving away those books to our listeners. And we are going to be uh, talking about his book, The Ghost of Neil Diamond, in an upcoming episode. And speaking of books, let's get right into it with... Autobiographies. All right, I picked... Uh, this is one of my picks. Uh, it's William Shatner's Up Till Now, which uh, a lot of you non-Star Trek fans already are cringing. Is this a book? talking about, you know, what size the captain's chair was and, you know, what Spock ate for breakfast. But uh, actually, pleasant surprise here. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised because I'm not a nerdy Star Trek fan. I'll watch it when it's on. The man's had a massive career outside of Star Trek. He has. And and you know what? This is actually the, one of the first times I actually learned a lot about his uh, growing up in Montreal, Canada and, and his Shakespearean background in acting. 
And uh, he actually tells some great stories. In His relationship movie. with Nimoy was very interesting to me. I did not realize that. Yes. There's okay, a lot of fill me in on his relationship with Nimoy. They're not very fond of each other. Apparently, Leonard Nimoy was quite jealous of, of the fact that uh, he was number one. Initially, Leonard Nimoy was supposed to be the star of the show, but they led Nimoy to believe that he was going to be the. Uh, I believe in one of the, the star? one of the one of the original writings, he was going to be the star. But then, being that it was the '60s and there was still a lot of racism, they figured the TV execs figured well, that they were not going to be able to sell a non. Well, the Bill, Bill being Bill, of course. I mean, I think Bill was just sore because uh, Leonard, uh, you know, Bill's done some audio work. He's done some songs, uh, very famous, you know, tragedies. Tell me you have a clip of his audio career, of his, uh, of his recording career. Well, here's a short clip. Lucy of, in the Sky uh, with Diamonds? Here's a short clip of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Thank you. Picture yourself in a boat on a river. Tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you. You answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Thank you. But then again, Leonard Nimoy trumps him with this. Middle of the earth in the land of Shire lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe, fuzzy woolly toes. He lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him, Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins is only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. That was awesome. It, you, they they do compare quite quite well. All right, well, I'm gonna play a little short clip from the uh, from the audiobook from Audible, uh, where William. This is actually the first couple of minutes of the of the audiobook where he starts off with one of these interesting. Is he stories. reading himself? Oh, he he's reading, reading himself. himself, and that's why I think that this is the better way to smashing. Actually, yeah, absolutely smashing. This is where our our continuous argument: audiobook Does versus any one paperback. Of us have a good Bill Shatner impression. We could lay out. Uh, I may be able to try later. Not, not now. Podcast number one. Huh? Okay, we'll save the impressions for later. Save the impressions <laughs> for save the number impressions two. for later. Playing clip now. Macmillan Audio presents Up Till Now, the autobiography by William Shatner with David Fisher. Read for you by William Shatner. This is chapter one. I was going to begin my autobiography this way. Call me Captain James T. Kirk or Sergeant T.J. Hooker or Denny Crane, Denny Crane, or Twilight Zone plane passenger Bob Wilson or the Big Giant Head or Henry V or the Priceline Negotiator or... Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I've been a working actor for more than a half a century and I've played so many different roles on the stage on television and the movies, that it would be impossible to focus on just one of them. Besides, my career as an actor is only part of my story, so I realized I couldn't begin this book that way. Then I decided I was going to start this book by telling the story of my memorable meeting with Coco the Gorilla. In 1988, to help the Gorilla Foundation encourage Californians to contribute to its endangered species campaign, I was permitted to visit Coco the gorilla in her quarters. Coco was an extraordinary animal who had learned to communicate with human beings. She was able to sign more than 600 words, but more impressively, as her handlers told me, she understood the meaning of those words. She knew the signs for water and for bird, and the first time she saw a duck landing on a lake, she signed water bird. That displayed a synthesis of knowledge. So, you see, she was obviously very intelligent. I was allowed to go into her compound to enter a room with her all alone. As I walked into that room, I was reminded that she was an imposing, powerful animal. Smaller gorillas have been known to tear off men's arms in anger. I'm not often afraid, but truthfully, I was frightened. There's a form of acting that teaches, feel it and say it, and that feeling will be revealed through your words. The English form is quite different. Say it, and then you feel it. To deal with my fear of this magnificent animal, as I got closer and closer to her, I found myself saying, I love you, Coco, I love you. I said it earnestly and honestly, 
and I looked directly in her eyes as I spoke. I crouched over a little to show submission, moving forward rather than backward to show I was not afraid. Over and over I repeated, I love you, Coco. I love you. And as I said it, I began to feel that love. Finally, I stopped directly in front of her and looked into her deep brown eyes, and I saw her furrowed brow and her enormous hands. I love you, Coco. And with that, she reached out and grabbed me by my balls and looked me right in the eyes, and after a slight pause, in a substantially higher voice, I tried to repeat, I love you, Coco. Obviously, these words had more significance than a few seconds earlier. Her handler, standing just outside the room, said, Stand very still. She wants you to go to her bedroom. So I stood very still because I did not want to go to her bedroom. I think it's fair to say that few people in history have ever stood as still as I did at that moment. Meanwhile, in the adjoining compound, a young gorilla, who they hoped would mate with Coco, was pounding on the door like a jealous husband. There I was, caught in the eternal triangle, with the gorilla holding on to my rapidly shrinking scrotum. Eventually she got bored. Still brilliant after all these years. The man was invited into a gorilla's bedroom. His life I... knows, you know... Every treasure has been given to to Bill Shatner. You know what? Starships, Gorilla Love, that, and Nichelle Williams. Yeah, Nichelle Williams. Yes. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, shouldn't make too and many that's Star not Trek even, references. And really, that Wait, is not. Can, the can best anybody story make a T.J. Hooker reference? No, at all that's here? not the best story in the book. When he gets into the leather chaps and the borrowed car, that's not, that's. The, he is a comedian, clearly. Uh, the, his timing is excellent, yes. and uh, he applies himself well to to comedy and writing. I mean, the, the tech series, right? I mean, I don't know. I, uh, absolutely, the tech I series was awesome. Any, did you read some? I read some. I could don't give me the name. I couldn't tell you the names off the top of my head, but they were well done. Do you know I mean, that that the the TV show made from that was actually filmed in Toronto? I actually watched them filming some scenes at Ontario Place, a big high tech uh, corridor they were going down once. It's it's just a corridor. What was the flavor yeah, of this stuff? The, was it like space opera? It's, or <laughs> It's the futuristic corridor that we built in 1973. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you've ever been to Ontario Place, you're watching the show going, meh. <laughs> been there. Legoland's on the left. <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a down great, the hall. Great book. Uh, and you can get it free just by going to uh, paulthebookguy.com slash audible. You can get that audiobook free just for signing up for a free trial. Yeah, the audio audiobook is is well worth it in this case. Listening to Bill tell it in his own inflection is is fantastic. Yeah, uh, I, I could I could listen to him read like the dictionary. He's an actor, and uh, yeah, but reading uses, his own words he uses really, his voice, though, yeah, right. I, I, mean, I enjoyed him uh, reading Sarah Palin's tweets. Okay, so oh, that was anything. that was a fantastic piece anything of entertainment. Uh, coming up next, uh, actually, I would say one of, if not my favorite series of books. Not necessarily any of my favorite books, but uh, as a whole, my favorite series of books, and this one is. Fantasy. Technically, this one's fantasy, science fiction, Western. Uh, yeah. That's a big claim. Uh, it's favorite. It's yeah. It, it actually is my favorite series of books, and, and because of, for three reasons: characters, characters, and characters. He's just a just diverse group of characters from different times, different universes, even, and they're all tied together by Roland Duchesne, the Gunslinger. And of course, we are talking about the Gunslinger series by Stephen King, the Dark Tower series, I should say. Can you uh, give me a brief plot synopsis? No. Yes. Yeah. There is no such thing as Come a brief on. plot no. Come here, on. Here, here, is, here is the brief plot synopsis. And it's the first line of the book. The man in black fled across the desert. And the gunslinger followed. How many, uh, uh, Roland Duchesne, the gunslinger, he, 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 is, he is chasing down the dark tower. He is, uh, he is chasing the man in black. And his ultimate quest is the dark tower. And that's all we know at the beginning of the series. How many books in the series? Uh, there are seven, I believe. Is it not seven, Greg? I'm going to go with seven as well. Seven. There's an online on multimedia six. experience uh, called Discordia as well. That, uh, you should probably only see that after you've read all seven books. Greg, have you read uh, any of the Dark Tower? I'm on six. You're on six. I'm about halfway through uh, the sixth book. I do do them on Audible. Uh, I don't find as much time to actually pick up the paper and, and go through it. So I am a dedicated Audible sort of person. Um, that way it does take me a little bit longer. But uh, as Stephen King said at the end of uh, book five, this is the, his preferred way of digesting his material. 
He likes the fact that every word is actually placed in your head. Okay. So I'm going a little slower than your typical book reader would. The, the, the audiobooks do slow you down, but yes, you get every word in your head. This isn't a discussion about that. I'm just saying that there's a reason about that. I want to know why I'm going to, why I'm going to pick this stuff up. I mean, uh, I'll give you one reason. It's engulfing. Uh, I, I identify with characters. I mean, Stephen King even said that, uh, he just loved the way George, uh, Guidal read his novels and uh, he, the unfortunate reason as to why George Goodall didn't uh, narrate all of the Dark Tower series because he passed away uh, mid-series. I mean, this is a series he that a, Stephen you know, King started in motorcycle the Motorcycle accident. Yes. Started in the 80s. So I think the Dark Tower was written, uh, started writing, I believe, in 83, or it was released in 83. We can check that. We can check that. We have the interwebs. We do have internets. Fantasy is apart from science fiction. Um, means what? We're talking about a universe that is fantastical, does not He, he ties in... enough of this fantasy to technological uh, items and events uh, so that it doesn't go off on so much of a fantasy tangent. Uh, it's always grounded in, in technology. Uh, it's, it's hard to describe, really. Let me try this one out on you, Paul. Um, there are people who say, and I'm probably going to saw this horse a lot in this podcast series, that there's only six or seven, maybe eight plots. Stranger comes to town. Um, man goes on a journey. Right. Um, where does this one fall in? This is man, both of man those. On a yeah. Quest, yeah. <laughs> both of those. <laughs> this, is, this is man. This is man on a quest. Man on a quest. Although, although a lot of the seven books diverge from that, but it's it's basically is the quest of of Roland to the get wolves to of the Kala is definitely man comes to town. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, I'm just wikiing this, and I just I don't know. This maybe this must have slipped under the radar, but apparently there's a. Uh, there's an eighth book uh, planned for 2012. Excellent. That's good the to hear. The Wind Through the Keyhole. And uh, not to mention that Ron Howard is still uh, trying to find the piles of money and uh, cross yeah. the T's and dot the I's on the uh, yeah, TV read, series. Yeah, he did movies. run into a little bit of difficulty and his budget got cut back on that. Initially, they had greenlighted him for three movies and, th- and uh, three seasons, at least, of television. But apparently... With recent budget cuts, his uh, budget was cut back on that. So now he's not able to produce what he wanted to produce. So he's kind of put the the brakes on it. From what I've, okay. under, from what I understand, let's from be realistic. Works. Ron Howard's budget being cut back and my budget being cut back is oh, a huge well, difference. I can't see, I can't see Ron but to, Howard's but again, budget to the being point, cut back. It would have to be a you know. Well, it is a very ambitious pro, pro. It's a very ambitious project. And if you do read the series, you understand. I mean, it's not just a matter of sitting up, setting yourself up in a in a studio and, and doing this. This is going to take a lot of location work. And, Absolutely. Uh, so I'm, st- I'm still trying to... I think the- he's doing something along the lines of what uh, Cameron did, where he's going to wait until he actually has the money to do it properly. How are they going to locate this? I mean, Gunslinger reads Western. Are we yeah. talking a uh, uh, yeah, you have West, Western we talking scenes, a- but uh, uh, without spoiling any of the yeah. future novels, I'm not that's asking why for I'm kind of holding spoilers, myself yes, back. But we, talking but about we have separate scenes universe? in New York City. Uh, Modern day New York City. In, in, in alternate universes. You have scenes in... in I mean, you have fantasy, you have horror, you have westerns. This is Wolves my next... of the Call is a classic western. I mean, you, so that's, that's just strictly you could western. remove yeah, you the could... robots and the fantasy and just cast Clint Eastwood and have a western. You know, ladies throwing plates and you, you could go nuts. Yeah, Javier, Javier Bardem was cast as, as Roland in the uh, first thing and unfortunately... The Mysterious Stranger. The Mysterious I Stranger, very yeah, well absolutely, cast. very well cast. The problem that we're... that I've I'm, I'm having with is the longer this delays, the more inappropriate that casting might become. You know, I'm hoping that this gets greenlit while Javier Bardem still fits the, fits the role age wise. However, Roland is kind of an, and his age is kind of an enigma, enigma anyways. It's, it's a, it's more of a loose concept. Stephen King was probably most popularly known, is probably most popularly known for the horror genre. Is this a, does that follow that vein, or is this more? It does not. It does no, not. It is okay. not. It does not. Uh, although he does uh, lapse into horror in certain scenes. He clearly has a gift for it, and, he there's, has a and gift. there's nothing like being frightened. Now, <laughs> this, this interesting enough, the, the background on this story, it, uh, it's actually based on King Lear. Actually, King, ah, King it's, it's inspired by the poem by Robert Browning, Child Roll into the Dark Tower Came. Uh, which is in turn inspired by Shakespeare's King Lear, uh, the character of Gloucester's son Edgar, when he is in disguise as the crazy Tom O'Bedlam. Remember, he's not actually crazy. He's in disguise as Tom O'Bedlam. Uh, his line is, Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. His wor- word was still, fi, foe, and fum. I smell the blood of a British man. 
King was so overwhelmed by this Robert Browning poem that he said, I'm, you know what, I'm going to write a story about this. Seven books later. And that story turned into seven books later, the Dark Tower series, which I believe begins and ends so beautifully. You're selling me, Paul. Started, You're selling me. started in 82 and ended in uh, 2004. It was 2009 that he announced that he was going to do the spinoff and release it in 2012. we got to sell 20 a bit more. Substantial commitment, seven volumes. Very substantial. Very and, substantial. And, and it just Are these books doorstoppers? Like uh, we're coming oh, yeah. up on up and we're coming up on the the King of Thrones they, stuff they later, and those are all doorstoppers. Yeah, 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 we're talking bigger. we're talking fourteen hours a book. Okay, well, if people can charge through uh, you know Harry Potter and Kings of Thrones, then Game of Thrones. Then oh, this is nothing on Harry got, Potter. Uh, like Harry Potter is. I'm not suggesting. You know, I'm yeah, only Harry in terms Potter's... of length. Only in terms of length, not in terms of quality or content. All right. Well, I have well, a little, terms of little length. clip. Little clip here from the audiobook. So was the horn he had once carried. Gone for years, that horn. Spilled from the hand of a dying friend. And he missed them both. He breasted a gently rising dune, although there was no sand here, the desert was hard pan, and even the harsh winds that blew when dark came raised only an aggravating harsh dust like scouring powder, and saw the kicked remains of a tiny campfire on the lee side the side the sun would quit earliest. Small signs like this, once more affirming the man in black's possible humanity, never failed to please him. His lips stretched in the pitted, flaked remains of his face. The grin was gruesome, painful. He squatted. His quarry had burned the devil grass, of course. It was the only thing out here that would burn. It burned with a greasy, flat light, and it burned slow. Border dwellers had told him that devils lived even in the flames. They burned it but would not look into the light. They said the devils hypnotized, beckoned, would eventually draw the one who looked into the fires. And the next man foolish enough to look into the fire might see you. The burned grass was crisscrossed in a now familiar ideographic pattern and crumbled to gray senselessness before the gunslinger's prodding hand. There was nothing in the remains but a charred scrap of bacon which he ate thoughtfully. It had always been this way. The gunslinger had followed the man in black across the desert for two months now, across the endless, screamingly monotonous purgatorial wastes and had yet to find spoor other than the hygienic, sterile ideographs of the man in black's campfires. He had not found a can, a bottle, or a water bag. The gunslinger had left four of those behind, like dead snakeskins. He hadn't found any dung. He assumed the man in black buried it. Perhaps the campfires were a message. Spelled out one great letter at a time. Keep your distance, partner, it might say. Or the end draweth nigh. Or maybe even come and get me. It didn't matter what they said or didn't say. He had no interest in messages, if messages they were. What mattered was that these remains were as cold as all the others. Yet he had gained. He knew he was closer, but didn't know how he knew. A kind of smell, perhaps. That didn't matter, either. He would keep going until something changed. And if nothing changed, he would keep going anyway. There would be water if God willed it, the old-timers said. Water if God willed it, even in the desert. The gunslinger stood up, brushing his hands. No other trace. The wind, razor-sharp, had of course filed away even what scant tracks the hard pan might once have held. No man scat, no cast-off trash, never a sign of where those things might have been buried. Nothing. Only these cold campfires along the ancient highway moving southeast and the relentless range-finder in his own head. Although, of course, it was more than that. The pole southeast was more than just a sense of direction. Was even more than magnetism. Who's uh, who's narrating that one? 
That was that was George Goodall, the original. George Goodall. Yeah, he does a really good book. job. I like his Roland. What is it with the British intonation that gives it such heft, it. such weight? In this particular case, it gives Roland gravity. some some uh, majestic qualities, and he is supposed to be from uh, the line of Eld, which is supposed. It, it's it's supposed to British? give him. Yeah, well, no, I'm not British, but <laughs> I know, I know. it has. Arthur-esque sort of. I understand the. You want to impart that uh, that royal, ancient, legendary lineage to something. Yeah. You put a British accent. Think of on. him as Absolutely. a think of him as a knight in shining armor, only with a gun. Excellent, excellent analogy. And let's not, you know, I mean, I'm not making fun. Uh, the the man's accent is is exceptional, and it definitely lends heft and. He does a drama. really good voice for for Roland. Uh, all the character, like I said, it's uh, three best things about the series: characters, 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 and yeah. Glidall does them all from Roland. To the Billy Bumbler, oi. Yeah. He does, oi. It would have been nice to hear a bit of I like his oi really well. And I, you know, I'm going to say this. He, he, he differentiates the female character, uh, Dedda, Dedda Walker, Odetta Holmes. Tell me it's a falsetto. No, but he differentiates them. When she falls in and out of character, you can tell which one's talking. You can tell which version of her is, uh, but still my pet peeve. What is your pet peeve? Audiobook pet peeve. Should be a woman doing woman's voice and a man's doing the man's voices because it's just off-putting listening to a I, man I'm hope, I'm hope trying to, back to sound like a woman and back. Well, that makes it more of a that I'm makes it more of an audio production rather than an audio book. I did uh, uh, Area Fifty One. Oh, sorry, Directive Fifty One. Yes, I uh, listened to almost all of the audiobook, and that is a woman. Yes. Uh, Doing the narration. And Great book. We're going to review soon. Yeah, we're going to review soon. Um, but there is a woman doing, uh, you know, men's parts, and I have to, you know, hand it to the to the narrator who does a spectacular job. But there is something, you know, disquieting about uh, her trying to import, uh, you know, trying to bring out a, a general uh, in the U.S. Uh, absolutely, Air Force or something. It, it diminishes the man, it the diminishes masculinity the of the man, and you know, I, so I can, I can, but then, but then it's a slippery slope, Paul. Then we're then we're asking for, you know, actors for every part. But maybe Absolutely. maybe, maybe, there's a place maybe for that's that too. it's my pet peeve because I love audio dramas. We got some stuff coming up on that too. Yeah, well, that's the difference when you go from a male to a male uh, character actor or male narrator to a female actor, a female narrator. That makes it more of a an audio drama rather than an audio book, and that's point taken. Uh, absolutely, point taken. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, okay, you guys really almost sold me on that Dark Tower stuff. Right, so just I, got, to, I, got a just lot, a, I got a lot to read, but boy, that uh, really sounds appealing. Just a last little bit of that coming out. Uh, again, we we're talking about Ron Howard having the uh, the rights to that and wanting to bring it to uh, both the big screen and the small screen. Uh, I was looking here, and we've got uh, Akiva Goldsman is in charge of the screenplay. Now, you might not know Akiva Goldsman, but let me give you some of his fantastic... Two seconds. Yeah. Ron Howard should get off his arse. And finish the Arrested Development movie. Yes, well, before he gets else, going yeah. on anything. I, I, I second that. <laughs> Third. <laughs> so let me just uh, tell you some of the accolades that we've got for the screenwriter for this. The the so far the announced screenwriter. So we've got some fantastic things like Fringe, like Fringe. He's uh, done several uh, items of that. But then we've got uh, Jonah Hex. That movie sucked. Um, I am Legend. That movie sucked. Aside worse. from both of those, Mister and Mrs. Smith. Starsky and Hutch. Oh man, this is gonna bite. Deep Blue Sea and Lost in Space. You're depressing me now because I really like the Gunslinger series. Yeah, you're, you're diminishing that my hope. That is very profoundly that depressing. That is profoundly upsetting. Now, now before we throw totally throw Chris off, uh, trying this out. Uh, one of the most interesting things about this entire series, uh, even I know you're not a big Stephen King fan, or maybe you just haven't. I never had said a, I haven't. Never I, just, had a I, haven't to, I haven't read a lot of his stuff. Is what uh, I'm saying. It's the way that he calls this his magnum opus, his his great, his great uh, seven effing books. It better be his yeah, magnum it opus. It better be. But he works, and he's backlinked. This story connects everything that he's ever written, and he's either uh, since eighty three when he started writing or he released the first one. He has worked elements of this story, sometimes sneakingly, sometimes overtly, into all his stories, and even the stuff that he wrote before, even some of the stuff he wrote as Richard Bachman. He has brought elements of those books into the entire series. In fact, one of the, the major characters in, in a few of the novels is uh, Father uh, Callahan. All right, Paul, I got, I got the point. Favorite series of all time. I got it. You, you've justified it. I thought it was a big claim when you started this off, but See, I'm fine. fine. Interesting that you just... that you Best series of all time. Interesting that you bring up The Stand, because I've been told, and I, this is probably the Stephen King series that I'm going to go with the next, is, is The Stand. Apparently, that is a, from what I've been told, 
a much better book than it's it's the, the only uh book that has vampires in it that doesn't make me want to vomit mm. and i stand by that no, I, that's that's claim. easy to do yeah all right well hold on that's didn't you bold, read the that's anne rice a bold claim that's a bold you claim. read the anne rice novels didn't i, you? I you have i have read the anne rice and i, and I did uh sort of they hold were, the vomit in my mouth oh they were good up until book two got a besh come on I second got a bish. Uh, Let's. They weren't golden, golden brown, and and it's mean spirited. But I'm I'm sorry. It was just. Uh, it's it's just you know what it's just uh, the whole vampire genre is something not for me. I'm sure a lot of our listeners love it, and you know there are stories that I can. You know what? Can, Let's invite the listeners right now. We would love to hear a what they have to say about vampires. Absolutely. B if they have any thoughts on uh, the Gunslinger series. Uh, positive, negative. I personally, I'd like to see someone take a chip out of Paul here. I've got, I've got no defense against his, his total adoration. He's, you know, got down on his knees in front of this thing. Um, if anybody out there could take a chip out of Paul, I would appreciate to hear it. Uh, Chris the Book Guy on Twitter, at Twitter. And callthebookguy.gmail.com. And, uh, if you want to send some, uh, email or feedback, you can just go to paulthebookguy.com slash podcast. Uh, there is an email us button. There's going to be all kinds of things there, ways that you can reach us. And we ask people to join up at uh, paulthebookguy.com. Are we still giving stuff away? I think they should because we're going to give away some stuff. In fact, when this podcast airs, uh, as soon as iTunes, you know, the Apple gods approve this podcast, it goes on the air. Uh, I'm going to be uh, throwing some audiobooks and stuff. Are we kneeling at the at the altar of, of Apple for this? We are pleading with Steve Jobs, please approve our podcast and uh, get it on the air, which it's, it's, it's mostly a clerical thing. So The world we live in. Okay. The world we live in. Hi, everyone. My name is Alec Carrick, and I'm the author of Two Scoops is Just Right and Three Scoops is a Blast, and you're listening to my good friend, Paul the Book Guy. Chris and Greg, I have a little little sort of treat, surprise for you guys. Uh, I know surprise, you... Paul, I didn't know you surprise. cared. Surprise! Um, we're going to go back to the 1930s, the old-time radio. We're going to wipe out all of the retroactive continuity that's happened in comic books. We're going to return Superman to the way he was back in 1930. And, of course, this is in the genre of... Comic books, comic books, comic books. This is an audio, it's, it's, it's also, it's a book, but it's also an audio book, uh, read by the wonderful Scott Brick, one of the greatest voices in audiobook. He's got a bookshelf at home full of oddies. This one is called It's Superman, and it's written by a gentleman named Tom DeHaven, and as read by Scott Brick. And the continuity in the story is, uh, 1930 Superman, so he can leap a building in a single bound, but he cannot fly. And uh, it is the 1930s, and here we go. Plucked off, it looks like. And no cufflinks either. Surprise, surprise. Chief, he says, realizing that he's been joined, tell me again, what was it your boy said? The craziest gun? Stupidest. He said Mackley must have owned the world's stupidest gun. Meaning? That it had to have fired backwards. Dutcher laughs. I know you told me his name, but... Kent, says Chief Parker. Clark Kent. Two. His left hand curls into itself, and he keeps squeezing it like a slow pulse. But every time Clark thinks he might actually open his fingers and look, he feels another bolt of panic and changes his mind. How you doing, son? Clark's fist draws back to his waist, pressing there. Something wrong with your hand? No, sir. The man nods, a few times too many. Bill Dutcher, Clark. I'm sheriff of Osage County. Grabbing a small chair, he twirls it casually and sits down, his thick, folded forearms across the back. Say, you wouldn't be related to the Kents live over to Osawatomie, would you? Own that big stove company? I don't think so. My wife's cousin does their bookkeeping. Or she did. Maybe don't anymore. Things being how they are. Dutcher leans forward. 
Sounds like you had yourself quite an evening. He sits back, plucks out a hand rolled from his shirt pocket. So how's about you tell me what happened? Dutcher holds the paper of matches in his right hand, tears off a match and runs it across the friction strip with his left. And seeing that, realizing Dutcher is left-handed, same as he is, Clark relaxes a little. He feels an odd kinship with lefties just as he feels one with blue-eyed people or people with black hair, with fingernails shaped like his, square and blunt. Finding people who were like him, even in the smallest ways, is always a comfort. It's stupid, he knows, but still it's some comfort. Clark, says Dutcher, I surely don't mean to push you, son, but do you think you might tell me about... Excuse me for just one second, Sheriff. Holding a cup of coffee, Chief Parker settles himself, carefully so he doesn't spill any, behind his desk. Clark, you sure you don't want me to send somebody for your dad? It's no trouble. I don't want to worry him, with my mom and all. But thanks. Up to you. Earlier, the chief offered to call Clark's father, or let the boy do it himself, of course, except the Kents don't have telephone service. Or electricity, either. Truth be told, they're lucky to have a roof still over their heads. Things being how they are. Well, if you change your mind. And, oh, Clinton drove your girlfriend home. She's fine. I just took her to the pictures, says Clark. He feels heat rise in his neck. She's not my girl. The chair under him creaks. But what about Alger Lee? He all right? I'm sure he's fine, says Parker. We told him to stick around, but he left. I expect he ran on home. Alger Lee, says Dutcher. Colored boy I told you about was there. I'm sure he just... I expect he ran straight on home. We can go fetch him now for you if you like. Dutcher seems to consider the offer but doesn't respond to it. Just pulls at his cigarette and exhales. Then... What movie you go see? He asks Clark. We were supposed to see The Werewolf of London. Now, somebody told me about that one. It's with the guy plays Charlie Chan, right? Warner Oland, says Parker. I bet it's good, says Dutcher. Then he says, Chief, could I bother you for some of that coffee? Sweet if you got sugar, no milk. One end of Parker's mouth quirks up. Then he purses his lips slightly and smooths them out again, and Clark figures all that pantomime is to let the sheriff know he's amused by the request, takes no offense, and sees it for the rank-pulling take-a-hike that it is. Clark, how about you? Coffee? No, thank you. Be right back, then. Take your time, says Dutcher. This young fella's gonna tell me what all went on, and you heard it before. So, Clark, he says. What time the picture start? Eight o'clock. A lot of other folks there tonight? Dutcher asks. Then asks him again because the boy is getting more and more remote every moment. Full house? About regular for a Saturday. And what's about regular? Dutcher finds an ashtray on the chief's desk and rubs out his cigarette. Thirty people? Fifty? A hundred? I couldn't say. I guess half the seats downstairs were filled. I don't know how many that'd be. Uh-huh. Dutcher looks thoughtfully at Clark's face. Points. You get whacked by something? Clark's right hand goes promptly to his forehead, tapping his fingertips around, playing dumb.
You got a red mark. There, right there. Like something might have hit you. No, sir. Superman can't fly? That's my extra from that clip. What? What's going on here, Paul? Well, uh, a lot of uh, Superman's powers came in the 50s and 60s. A lot of stuff has, uh, have been added on to the character. A lot of things have changed. And, of course, he probably doesn't, you know, beat people brutally up to a crap, you know, beat the crap out of people brutally anymore. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting book. It's uh, Superman, classic Superman, 1930s golden age, as read by Scott Brick. Uh, highly recommended. Again, paulthebookguy.com slash audible. Before you we, can get it free. Before you get out of this, um, that's fantastic. People can get it free. Is this a... Is this a... Uh, is this something that's been pulled from the 30s and re... No, actually, this is Tom DeHaven writing Tom in DeHaven 1930s writing as, style. As a 1930s style. It, it is a newer book. It, it, it is... Uh, oh, that's curious. It's a retro thing. So he wrote it uh, in the style of 1930s and with that... Uh, so Superman has a an, uh, uh, a version, an iteration from the 30s, which does not include flying, apparently. Absolutely. No. And did you know that uh, at one point, uh, Superman's mother and father's name were Mary and Joseph? Which mm. might give you a clue as to where... Uh, <laughs> Where uh, this story came from. I thought Mary that uh, the whole Superman thing was like a Jewish thing. You know, you yeah, put on the glasses. Uh, actually, yeah, both creators were Jewish. And uh, it, they did call it, it's the greatest story ever told. And uh, there's another book. <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> another borrowing, book also was the greatest story ever told. Borrowing which, a of page course, there. Yeah, yeah, borrowing a page from the Bible, of course. Uh, Superman is an allegory for... Uh, for Jesus Christ. And yeah, as as noted by the recent Superman re Yeah, returns. that was a little cheesy when they had him up, up in the space. With I don't think I missed spoiler anything. Spoiler alert. No, spoiler uh, alert. It's not a they plot point. But read the Bible yeah, instead. We were referencing at one point in the movie where he goes into a crucifixion pose while in space, and, and it kind of was a little bit cheesy. All right, I'll read the Bible instead. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> There's no superpowers in the Bible, though, because it's mostly Bible's, wine to The Bible was more exciting. Hi, I'm John Barnes, and I've published 29 books since 1987. If you were thinking of starting to read my work, some people especially like my early novels, Orbital Resonance and A Million Open Doors. My best-selling book has been Mother of Storms. The one that has disturbed the most people seems to be Kaleidoscope Century. I get a lot of mail about Gaudiamus and one for the morning glory, which some people consider my strangest. But... Whichever you choose to read, the guy who will help you find the good stuff is the logically named Paul the Book Guy, who you are listening to right now. All right, coming up next, uh, I believe Greg has a bunch of stuff for us in this segment. Books on film and television. All right, let's go through a couple of little things, and then we're going to get to our main topic, which is going to be the topic of conversation for pretty much myself, my family, and all of my friends. We've had a really great summer for uh, especially comic books coming to film. We've had uh, X-Men, well, very well received. Haven't You've seen that. How, how was it? Missed it. Very well done. Great characters. Uh, Fassbender is probably one of the best uh, comic book characters. He brings Magneto to the screen better than... Uh, Ian McKellen probably. It, it it's uh, high accolades, but Fastbender's uh, amazing. Yeah, Fastbender did a much better job. Well, and I'm, let me. I'm gonna rewind there. He did a very good job, marginally better than Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen, fantastic actor. But uh, get on with it. What do you got? All right, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> it's definitely on my to watch list. <laughs> yeah, to watch. Definitely, you do want to watch that one. You want to, if you have a couple more moments, you might want to go see Thor. Very well done. But uh, I, you know what? That one blew me away. Kenneth Branagh. Hang on. You Thor, know what? Thor was good. Not nearly in the same. It's not in the same genre as X Men. X Men uh, First Class by far much better than Thor. Uh, however, Kenneth Branagh did do a very good job of interpreting the the Rainbow Bridge, and it was an epic. He had a lot to produce there. I was very surprised. I was not expecting anything other than a gigantic piece of fromage from that. And I was pleasantly surprised. It was entertaining. I think the fans and listeners would have some uh, profound opinions on this point, And I would personally like to hear them. I haven't seen uh, the movie. And I'd like to have my opinion colored by other people's opinions before I go to the theater or before I... 
uh, rent it or download it. So please uh, contact us, me, ChrisTheBookGuy, gmail.com, or Chris at ChrisTheBookGuy, Twitter. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How about yeah. GregTheBookGuy yeah. at gmail.com or GregTheBookGuy at twitter.com? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Forward, uh, and you can contact me. all me. of us. <laughs> if you go to uh, PaulTheBookGuy.com slash podcast, there is a section about us with all of our Twitter handles and tweeter handles and, and all that. All right. Uh, kind of out of left field here, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Saddam Hussein's book coming to film in 2012. Happy times. So very nice. Uh, that gives you that gives away the main uh, the main actor. Of course, Sasha Baron Cohen has been uh, f- farming this around, and uh, basically it's inspired by the novel Zabiba the King by Saddam Hussein, and it's uh, going to be coming to film coming to theaters in 2012. He finally got all the money that he wanted, and it's. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be. How much money did he get? Do we have uh, a number on this? I actually have an interesting story about that. I, oh, I, I did read an article on uh, on how Sasha Baron Cohen came to choose Paramount as uh, as the because uh, he had a lot of takers on this one. It's a comedic take on the life of Saddam Hussein, who started off his life as a uh, goat herder. So apparently, Paramount sent a representative with. Uh, with an offer which matched his offer or matched what he wanted, uh, they sent over a guy, an actor dressed as a goat herder with goats to his office and a $20 million bonus. You know, and, and as Greg said the other day, they had me at goats. You know, they had me at the goats. That's, that's, that's profound dedication to send goats. That is not co- just the goat, you know, herder. the goat herder. Kudos, <laughs> Paramount. Kudos, Paramount. They have, obviously have a sense of Is humor. this actually going to get made? It is in uh, production. It's in production. It's yeah. in production. In production. Is there any possible way that we could get a copy of this book? You know what? Let's put that on, our, put that on, on our, our group on our, to read list. Let's put that on the group to read list. Yeah. What was the name of the book again? The, na- the name of the book is uh, Zabiba and the King. And basically what they're saying, the movie I've has been... i this before. I've, th- I've, this has got to be Zabiba a weird Zabiba and the book. King by Saddam Hussein. And it's, the movie is being described as the heroic story of a dictator who risked his life to ensure that democracy would never come to the country he so lovingly oppressed. This could rival the Dark sounds, Tower series. Sounds good already. Um, this could be an interesting book. Uh, they're actually not sure if Saddam Hussein wrote it or if he just like made his slaves write it. But uh, another interesting note, Saddam Hussein commissioned a Quran written in his own blood. He literally had them pull blood from him and write a Quran. This is how weird this man is. Now, add to that the how weirdness of Sasha Baron Cohen, don't and you could have a fantastic movie. Don't how many pages is a Quran? How many pages is a Quran? I've got to say at least... No, it's got to be at least 200. I'm thinking 250 tops. I don't ever want more than one page written in my blood. I don't want my signature in my own blood. <laughs> what else we got in uh, books? All right, let's get television. let's get to it. This is the topic of of the you know this has basically been the topic of the month. Uh, I finally got my wife to watch the whole film, and uh, I know that the both of you guys are w- reading the books. My wife's reading the book. Most of my friends are reading the book. All right, we're going to talk about a Game of Thrones. of our listeners who don't know, that is in fact the theme from the television series Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones being broadcast on HBO currently. Right. They've just completed the uh, broadcasting season one. Season one is finished now? Season one is finished, all ten episodes. That encompasses the first book of the seven book series. And four of which have been published, one coming out next month. There's one coming out in, yes. And then two time. more uh, two more announced. Y- you know, um, I started watching the HBO series before reading the books, and I'm going to say this is one rare moment where I actually say, go watch the series. It's HBO has done such a good job. George R.R. R. Martin is, is happy with it. Uh, they've done yeah. such a good job with this that I didn't want to spoil the series by reading the book. So I, yeah. I'm actually keep I'm going to read the book first book now after the series one. And I'm going to do that again for series two. I'm going to wait for HBO. Yeah. I'm on the They've other side of the pool there, Paul. I, uh, it's, it's literally because of you two that I took the first episode and watched it. And I believe, Greg, you said to me, it's like Lord of the Rings for adults. And I thought, you know yes. what? I'm going to give this a shot. I mean, the fantasy stuff really isn't my bag. But I thought, i got to give this a try. I, you know, I trust your opinion. I watched it. I was, And you said, you know, just wait till, wait till the last five minutes. And my jaw hit the floor. And I, every episode there... In the HBO series, there is a, a five-minute segment where your jaw will hit the floor. And now, you got to give kudos to the screenwriters on that. The screenwriters, yeah. They have now, pulled that book apart to the point where they, they were able to put a jaw-dropping moment in, or two, or three, 
in every episode. Now, Paul, you're going to wait to read. I have done the opposite. I have read the book, the entire book, after having watched a single episode. And I have to say, I'm stunned. There is... Uh, you came with the, with the Dark Tower, the, uh, the, the Gunslinger series, character, character, character. Uh, I'd have to say the same thing for George R.R. R. Martin. Every character is uh, completely fleshed out. There are no cardboards. There's no stand-ups. There's no, uh, there's no fakes. Everything that he does is... Every character that he writes is complete and whole in their own right. It's, it's making it difficult to... like One of the favorite games that I have with my friends now, my friend Paul, my friend Teresa, we're having a difficult time uh, predicting what's going to happen in the future. We're both... We're, the three of us are basically going to do the same thing. We're going to wait for the... We're going to watch the film or the television show, and then we're going to read the books. And it's, it's making it difficult because there are no throwaway characters, and yet there are, he throws away characters. Let's, let's not, uh, right, right. yeah, there let's not ruin, let's, yeah, there, every, there's many Every deaths. character that he burns is still a complete and fleshed right. out character. Right, he has, yes. he makes characters, and then he's not afraid to actually take them out. They're take not. They're gone. Gone like that. And uh, I guess that's, it, it adds something to the whole story where, where, it, it, there is a finality to it all. There's no, it, there doesn't seem to be any... I mean, who knows what's coming in the future, but there doesn't seem to be any glorious resurrections or, or last-minute calls from the governor to, make, to, to stave off execution. These people are actually gone, and it, it, it makes it very real. What feels so real about it is each of these covers, each of these characters uncovers their fate, and it seems undeniable, it seems inevitable, but it, at the same time, it seems surprising. Like, any idiot can write, you know, five people in a lifeboat, but how did they get there? And George without R. R. spoiling anything, there are some surprises, folks. We're oh, not going to spoil them for There is nothing. There is nothing predictable. The plot follows so seamlessly, but it is so unpredictable, and this is the genius. And of this is what I'm saying. It's hard to predict what's going to happen in book two by watching the first season, which represents book one, because you can't look at one... You can't only look at one character and say, this character is going to do this, because it seems that in the first book, wherever two characters happen to cross... One character prevails and the other character perishes. I have to say that I'm, I'm so inspired by reading Game of Thrones. I've already started the next book, Clash of Kings. So I can only say that the, uh, that the, the drama and the, the quality of writing has not diminished as yet. But we're talking about Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very looking, for, I'm looking forward to next season. And I'm I got to hope HBO carries this on. Uh, I do have to say from the book to the series, I, I have to beg, beg listeners to read the book. Absolutely. For the, for the simple reason, I mean, watch the series. It's brilliantly pr- produced. It's excellent television. More, you know, better than anything you can watch at the moment. However, the, the setting, uh, I have to say that the world is seamless. I don't know if anybody's watched The Wire, if they've watched The Sopranos, but you, you immerse yourself in a world that's real. And uh, George Martin yes. has accomplished that completely. I would say, I would say to the nice people at, at uh, Mad Men, winter is coming. You know, George R. R. Martin said that he knew it was getting serious when he stopped re, uh, writing the second book to draw a map of the world. That's when he knew that it was getting serious. He was screwed. He had to keep writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it's unanimous. If you're a fan, a fan of Lord of the Rings uh, and you've grown up or you stopped taking the acid. If you know. you've grown up, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's much more political. It's, it's you were going to enjoy this The series. characters are far deeper. Yes, deeper characters, more adult situations. And adult let's, situations, let's say right now, yeah. there's never been a finer character ever written for a dwarf. No. No. No, that's absolutely no. true. And, and a great actor. I, I don't know the Magnificent guy's name. Magnificent actor. Let's not he does a fantastic job. Peter Dinklage, who plays Tyrion, uh, Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion Lannister. Thank you very yeah, much. Fantastic yes. actor. Yeah, great job. Great job. Role of a lifetime, and he's the perfect actor for it. So unanimous, three thumbs up. uh, But please read or listen to the book. Yes, read or listen to the book. Actually, you know what? We have a clip. No one could move through the woods as silent as Will, and it had not taken the Black Brothers long to discover his talent. The camp is two miles further on over that ridge, hard beside a stream, Will said. I got close as I dared. There's eight of them, men and women both. No children I could see. They put up a lean-to against the rock. The snow has pretty well covered it now, but I could still make it out. No fire burning, but the fire pit was still plain as day. No one moving. I watched a long time. No living man ever lay so still. Did you see any blood? Well, no, Will admitted. Did you see any weapons? Some swords, a few bows. One man had an axe. Heavy-looking, double-bladed, a cruel piece of iron. It was on the ground beside him, right by his hand. 
Did you make note of the position of the bodies? Will shrugged. A couple are sitting up against the rock, most of them on the ground, fallen-like. Or sleeping, Royce suggested. Fallen, Will insisted. There's one woman up an ironwood, half hid on the branches. A far eyes. He smiled thinly. I took care she never saw me. When I got closer, I saw that she wasn't moving neither. Despite himself, he shivered. You have a chill? Royce asked. Some, Will muttered. The wind, my lord. The young knight turned back to his grizzled man of arms. Frost-fallen leaves whispered past them, and Royce's destria moved restlessly. What do you think might have killed these men, Garrett? Sir Waymar asked casually. He adjusted the drape of his long sable cloak. It was a cold, Garrett said, with iron certainty. I saw men freeze last winter, and the one before, when I was half a boy. Everyone talks about snows forty feet deep, and how the ice wind comes howling out of the north. But the real enemy is the cold. It steals up on you quieter than will, and at first you shiver and your teeth chatter, and you stamp your feet and dream of mulled wine and nice hot fires. It burns, it does. Nothing burns like the cold, but only for a while. Then it gets inside you and starts to fill you up. And after a while, you don't have the strength to fight it. It's easier just to sit down or go to sleep. They say you don't feel any pain toward the end. First you go weak and drowsy, and everything starts to fade. And then it's like sinking into a sea of warm milk, peaceful light. Oh, such elegance, Garrod, Sir Waymar observed. I never suspected you had it in you. I've had the cold in me, too, Lordling. Garrett pulled back his hood, giving Sir Waymar a good long look at the stumps where his ears had been. Two ears, three toes, and the little finger of my left hand. I got off light. We found my brother frozen at his watch, with a smile on his face. Sir Waymar shrugged. You ought to dress more warmly, Garrett. Garrett glared at the lordling. The scars around his ear holes flushed red with anger, where Maester Eamon had cut the ears away. We'll see how warm you can dress when the winter comes. So if you watch the very first episode on the HBO series, that is uh, where that clip is taken from. That was Roy D uh, Detrice. Paul, am I got yes, that right? Yes, Roy Detrice. Uh... Again, with that lovely British intonation to give yes. it a little bit of heft. So, uh, yeah, the very first episode of uh, Game of Thrones on HBO, you'll see that clip. And, of course, uh, that is direct from the book. It hardly, hardly touches uh, the drama, hardly touches the... Uh, Political. The characters. You know, there's one of my complaints about Audible's, uh, the clips that are on Audible is, and, and I, I actually uh, emailed this back and forth with John Barnes, a uh, nice gentleman you heard at the top of the show and uh, author of Directive 51, um, that Audible just, I think it seems, sometimes it seems like they just randomly pick a section of the that book. It was definitely a random selection, and I, I told agree. John that uh, the clip that was on for his book did not reflect the audiobook that I had listened to, like it was just a random, and he agreed, and, and he's contacted Audible, but Audible should be contacting the authors and getting them to choose, select the three minutes of their own book that they feel would sell the book more. Perfect. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. So in, in this case, where was that clip from? Uh, that was the very beginning of the book. Um, that, I didn't recognize it. That was the, the opening, the very opening of the series after they've gone through the tunnel and they've found the, the bodies in the, in the, in the wild wilderness uh, yeah, above the wall. We never get to know their names. In, in the TV I, show, I, you don't such, get, you don't know their names. such minor characters. Right? Yeah. I know. There's such minor characters. Uh, it certainly gives a flavor of what the book is about, but it certainly doesn't encompass the intrigue. No. It doesn't encompass the, uh, the depth right, of I mean, the characters. Between the three of us, we could pick, each of us could I, pick okay, a better right. scene. We're, absolutely. Let, let's, absolutely. Let's say right now, also, Paul, as, as we were talking you know, a little bit off mic, we're not shilling uh, this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We're I mean, sold I, pretty much for anything on the show. I mean, we're not shilling here. I mean, we're doing this because no, we love I, this. I, we're not doing this to get no, paid. I wasn't, I was not. One. We're uh, doing this for fun. Uh, George R.R. R. Martin was not on my radar uh, ah, me either, completely, uh, I, until you two. He landed on my HBO radar, and I, what, what's this based on? There must be, uh, holy crap, there's an entire series of books. There's an entire series of books. There's a board game, there's a card game about this. Yes. This is, a, this is yes. not just a book, this is not just a television and, and series, it's a franchise. Okay, we'll come back to the books, though. It's on the strength of the writing. Absolutely. 
So let's stick to the, the the strength of the writing. But this is a franchise that flew under the under our radar. This is one that we missed. I don't think it flew under anybody's radar. I think it's exploding all over the place at it the is, moment, thanks to is. HBO. <laughs> but yeah. un, but well deserved. And and uh, like I said, it is Lord of the Rings. Uh, or like Greg said, it is Lord of the Rings for uh, for adults. Unfortunately, and, uh, we have to give credit to Greg are, for that. But there it is. There you go. And and there are adult situations in this book, and that is part of the reason why I'm flagging every single episode of Paul the Book Guy as explicit on iTunes. We are, uh, as you can tell so far, we are not uh, spouting out expletives or or you know unnecessarily. Being, not not unnecessarily. Un- I mean, yet. <laughs> uh, but we're not going to censor any books or clips. Um, for example, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to cover it. There are uh, some ribald situations. Right. There are some adult situations. There's violence, murder. Lots of violence. Books. Lots of sex. So we're not going to censor. There's a ribald storyline. It's a very ribald storyline. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, right. and it's not gratuitous either. No. It's, I mean, it's for the benefit of the book. It is for, for the, the benefit, benefit of, the of the book. But if, if we weren't flagged as explicit, we'd have to censor the clips and, 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 and curtail even, our tongues. and sa- Even you know, censor the, the recommendations. Curtail our tongues. Curtail our tongues. Okay. Hi, this is Donna Carrick, author of The First Excellence, Gold and Fishes, and The Noon God, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Coming up next, a uh, book that is a genre that I think I pretty much just sort of made up. Uh, it's a type of book, kind of like the Bible that you can read in segments, or more appropriately, like... A book that you would keep in the bathroom that, you know, when you're doing your thing in the bathroom. What are you advocating for here? A dictionary? What do you got for us, Paul? No, not a dictionary, Chris. Uh, A book that you would keep in the bathroom. You can actually be reading another book or listening to an audiobook, and you only got two, three minutes in the bathroom or five minutes in line at Walmart, and you don't want to dive into Game of Thrones uh, because you know you're not going to get into it for the first five, ten minutes. So you you have this book lying around. It's something we call... What can we dip into? We call it a... So this book is not only a bathroom Bible, it's also a The Think Geek Item of the Week from ThinkGeek.com A bathroom Bible. I think we're going to get letters about that. that. No, man. I'd like to say Send your email to Paul the Book Guy. The Book Guy. Paul. That's Paul (laughs) P-A-U-L. At Paul the Book Guy, please. I was at my cousin's wedding, and I did actually speak to a priest, and uh, he did say that the world would be a better place if everyone had a Bible in their bathroom. I, I hope the I hope the priest is yeah, I think he was, happy to I hear think that. he was talking about an actual Bible. He might be talking now. about an actual Bible. Yeah. What do you have for us, Paul? All right. So uh, every once a week or every week, every podcast, we're going to feature an item from Think Geek. Uh, again, we're not shilling. We love Think Geek. We order from Think Geek. I buy stuff from Think Geek all the time. All of our sponsors are are things we use all the time. Uh, we're not selling uh, things that we don't use. So we ordered, last order we made from ThinkGeek, it's actually Greg and I put in an order. We got this little item here. It's called The Book of Secrets. It's a tiny book. It's written by five authors. It's literally uh, like four, three inches by three inches kind of book. You can not suitable yeah. to tear pages out if you run no. out of TP. No. However, no. excellent no. bathroom reading. Excellent pages bathroom as well. reading. It contains a bunch of different little secrets, which sounded silly at first until... Some of them are actually pretty interesting. I know Greg's been reading through it in the can. In the can. Because <laughs> it is. Bathroom Bible. It's small enough that I don't. We're it, so going to get letters yeah, on that. I'm really it's small sorry. enough that I don't feel I'm going to drop it. It's not going to get in the way. What are you talking about? That thing is like small enough to easily fall into the I feel comfortable the with it. it. You can hold it in one hand while you're doing something with the other. And Greg, speaking of hold, I see you're holding in one hand. Uh, hopefully, you're not going to do the thing that you normally do uh, while you're holding one hand. But maybe holding you have this uh, big microphone. <laughs> maybe you have. Uh, I really clip. don't like the way this conversation's going. Hey, Greg, any uh, secrets from the book you want to share with us? I've got the secret history of fireworks here. The ancient Chinese used fireworks to as, as <laughs> the ancient Chinese used fireworks at celebrations such as New Year's weddings and the birth of children because they believed that loud bangs would scare off evil spirits and ensure good fortune. The sole purpose of these early fireworks was to make as much noise as possible, and it was later that other chemicals were added to produce different colors. The same reason why we should all carry a, an AK-47 with a full magazine in our cars. 
That's right. Power to people, my brothers. Yes. Ward off the evil spirits with Ward loud bangs. <laughs> and tracer bullets. And tracer bullets. Yeah, green So, so there, there's a lot of little items in the book, and you can read them a yeah, the minute actually, at a time, two minutes at a time. It's very interesting because it also goes through all the chemicals here that produce the different colors. So I mean, yeah, I'm not going to list and, them yeah, off. Yeah, now, but there, it's, there, it's, there's it's, a lot of great items, and, and I've, you've been doing the same way I have, which is, you know, bathroom, Bible. Again, read, not endorsed for an, a replacement for TB should, TP should you run out. No, too small for to use as toilet paper, which is a perfect for a bathroom Bible. But, you know, so there are no pages missing. The next person comes Those in. Those are perfect. Very, still perfect. very thick pages. And you can pick up Book of Secrets at paulthebookguy.com slash thinkgeek. Uh, they are one of our sponsors. We do order from them all the time. We're not shilling. We really enjoy the product, and it's a great way for you to support the show. Uh, we've got a list of all of our Think Geek items of the week there. And that was this week's The Think Geek Item of the Week from thinkgeek.com. Hey, this is Jeff Smith, the guy who does all the jingles from thejeffsmith.com, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Ah, you know what that music means. We're coming back next week? We are coming back next oh, I week. I hope so. This was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I'm Paul the Book Guy. I'm Chris the Book Guy. I'm Greg the Book Guy. And we'll see you next week, same book time, same book channel.